Welcome to episode 106 of the Search with Candor podcast, recorded on Tuesday, the 6th of April 2021. My name is Mark Williams Cook, and today I am going to be joined by Gianna Pracchetti Truskawa, who is the VP of SEO at startdowns.ede. And we're going to be talking all about QA in SEO that's quality assurance in SEO, what that process looks like, how it can save you time, money, and from doing endless audits. Before we kick off, I want to tell you this episode is very kindly sponsored by the brilliant Sightbulb. If you haven't heard of Sightbulb before, it's a desktop-based SEO auditing tool for Windows and Mac. I've used it for years. We've used it at Canda for a long time. So absolutely happy talking about it. Really glad they, they chose to sponsor us. Every week, normally I, I pick up on one thing I particularly like about Sightbulb. And you'll hear in this chat we have with Jana, we're going to talk a lot about um, languages and international SEO we do at the beginning. And this is one thing that Sightbulb is particularly strong at, which is the checking and validation of the nightmare that can be href lang tags. So if you're dealing with an international site, uh, I'm sure you know what I mean. It can become very difficult to make sure all of those href lang tags are bi-directional, that you're using your X default in the right place, that you've got ideally your self-referential ones and they're only pointing to canonical pages and Sitebulb does this incredibly well. Um, it will audit the entire hreflang relationship and give you a breakdown of any gaps that you've got. Even on sites that I've worked on where I've kind of given good briefs, checked it as it's gone, I've found issues when I've, I've run this tool on the staging site. Because of course you are using a staging site and not putting stuff straight on live, right? I thought so. You can get a free trial of Sitebulb uh, on their site. But if you're a Search with Canada listener and if you go to sitebulb.com forward slash SWC, you can actually get an extended 60-day trial of the software. There's no credit card or anything required, so no excuse not to give it a go. If you haven't already, it's really quick to get going. Sitebulb.com forward slash SWC. Today, we are very kindly joined by Jana Brachetti Chaskawa. I think I got that roughly correct. I had a, I had a quick stab uh, before we started recording, and Jana was very kind to say I got it, I got it close, but I think it was slightly better that time. It was definitely. Thank you. <laughs> so thank you for 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 joining us. And um, we're going to be talking today a little bit about technical SEO and and especially QA quality assurance and SEO, which I think is a really interesting topic because actually I haven't heard that many people speak about it. Um, and I know you've got a lot of experience in SEO. For those that don't know you, do you want to just give a little bit of background as to where you're currently working and how maybe how you got into SEO as well? Of course, thank you. Um, so how did I get into SEO? Or shall I start with what I do right now? I shall start with what I do right now. Right now, I am the Vice President of SEO um, at Startdance, um, which is a German company. But um, we do have another company that's called Cafe Rocks Limited, which is 
how do you say that? We're the subsidiary of them. Let's put it that way. And as such, I'm um, consulting as the vice president of SEO uh, Cafe Rocks um, as an in-house service. So I'm actually an in-house SEO that would might look from the outside like it's an agency because startups do, do have other other projects, but I'm not involved with other projects currently. And what we do is um, we have websites. Uh, we're doing affiliate websites actually in iGaming. And we got, so far we got 60 domains that I'm managing with my team. So it's quite a lot in different languages and markets and the number is rising. So that's what I'm doing right now. Um, what I did before, I did a lot of SEO in the past few years, um, both in-house as well as in agencies. And mostly I was working with big websites. For example, I was working with uh, one of Europe's biggest recipe websites. And since we had millions of URLs, um, my main tasks were often technical because you have to have some, you have to do some things that have some kind of leverage to some degree. Um, but I was also obviously also consulting their editorial teams when it came to optimizing content. Um, and before that, I used to be a technical translator for like IT and border engineering. So. So this is something we actually spoke about before we 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 started recording. We actually ended up talking about languages in, instead of SEO. And you were bringing up how, in in kind of some ways, that there, there's similarities, right, between translation and mm -hmm. and technical SEO. Do you want to just explain that for you know people that have no idea like me about actually what you know what translating is is you know technical translating uh, is kind of involved with. Of course, uh, in general, any kind of translation is actually a very analytical thing to do. Um, many people don't know because translation as such is not a protected entity. What I mean by this is anyone can call themselves a translator whether or not they have studied it or have experience. They can just say, oh, I grew up bilingual, I can just be a translator. But actually, when you study it, which is what I did, um, then you learn a lot of techniques and it's a very analytical thing to do. So you analyze, um, let's say, a text that you want to translate from one language into another, let's say from German into English. So you analyze and kind of deconstruct any cultural implications the German text has and any structures. And then you do the same with um, the English target, where you don't have an English target text, you have to produce it, but you do it with, for example, similar texts. Um, so you figure out what is the structure that text needs to be for an English native speaker? And that, of course, isn't the same for every country where you speak English as a first language. So you have to figure out, is it different in Britain um, or in Australia and so on? Um, this can go a long way. For example, I had someone ask me to translate things from their Australian online shop into, into German and French, and then they said, uh, they, they provided me every every document they had, which was mainly product websites. But I told them, well, you need some legal documents for, for Germany. There's some, I don't even know the English word for it, but um, you have to provide some legal document that when you order anything online, you've got 14 days to revoke that order as, as a customer. And if that's missing, you're in big trouble here. So, of course, he did not provide me with a source document to translate into, but translation is also consulting. A lot of times it's consulting the clients and saying, 
you need this, I can provide it for you, but you need, for example, to get legal advice um, to make sure it's actually legally correct. In some cases, translators can do that as well. Um, it's just a question if you want to be liable or not. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so um, basically what you do is you look for patterns. You look for patterns in both languages, but also in the cultures. And, um, and you try to also re reconstruct those into the other language. And um, I think what I do in SEO is a lot of times looking for patterns. So it is not that different, actually. I think you touched on something really um, interesting there as well from people who are maybe already in a in a technical kind of te uh, SEO role when they're dealing with international SEO, because it was certainly something I was uh, ignorant about being someone that primarily only speaks one language. Um, and until I actually made a friend who worked in the translation industry, translation to me was very much about here are some words. Can you please make them in the other in the other language? Um, but as I came to do more international SEO and got involved in it, and especially from a marketing point of view, as you say, even in English and when you travel, say, and you go to the States and you, you just hear, you see a TV advert and realize just how different you know, even stuff in the same languages because of the culture, because, you know, the TV ads to me in the States were like almost offensive in how hard sell mm -hmm. they were um, coming from, from England. And this made me think, oh, wow, I wonder how, you know, the kind of conversion copy, if you like, that we have for the UK looks in the US. And, you know, it looks awful, basically, because it's not what they're expecting. And this was only magnified when I spoke to this person working in translation around, you know, the certain phrases and meanings and what's culturally important it just doesn't translate right when you just translate the words yeah true and then also it's not just about the mere words but also about um the need for information that also differs largely in the culture so for example let's say you have a travel website and you promote travels to sardinia then the british person what would a british person have to know other than i don't know some some facts about Sardinia, they should probably know, hey, please bring your sun blocker and don't leave your empty beer bottles at the beach. But when it comes to an Australian person, they don't need to know that they don't need, uh, that they do need sun blocker. They might already think about that. So for them, that is, that is information that is useless. But what they might need to know is you can go swim there. There's no sharks or something like that. But they might be drunken British people. So <laughs> um, and when it comes to an American person, like from the US, they might need to know where Sardinia actually is, like that it's in the northern hemisphere of, of the earth. I mean, you know, so, I mean, of course, that's a bit extreme, but, but just to, to get across what I mean, they have different, different needs for information as well. So just to, just to frame this correctly, so although um, Start Downs is an agency, really, you would see your role almost as like an in-house role that be comparable it's entirely in-house because yeah. i'm only like at least for now and i, I don't think that's going to change soon because we've got 60 domains to manage i'm managing the uh, domains of cafe rocks and i'm managing the seo team at cafe rocks and um, so, that's that's an incredible amount of domains in any um in any niche but are, are they all if, if you can tell me are they all in iGaming? Yep. Because, I mean, I haven't done um, any work recently uh, in iGaming. I mean, I did some SEO in iGaming, some affiliate stuff, and 
the the way I ended up actually being an affiliate in iGaming was to, and this was a long time ago, and you'll you'll hear, you'll you'll get an idea of why in a moment. Was actually compiling uh, like books on how to play poker and tips and sharing them on LimeWire and embedding mm-hmm. affiliate codes in them because I found then I didn't have to rank; I could just get the files shared. But that was at the time that was brutally competitive. Is that is that still the same now? Oh gosh, yes, absolutely. If not even worse. Yeah. So to people listening, uh, my advice would be if you if you meet SEOs that are working in iGaming, I always prick my ears up because uh, these people are, you know, really up against it in terms of, you know, they're not just, um, you know, making some good content and then just ranking. Uh, so they're having to pull yeah. out all of the tricks out of the bag normally. Well, but speaking of tricks, the thing is that and that is what, what makes us very different from other companies in, in that niche is that we're only doing white hat SEO. And when you do that, gosh, yeah, that is um, that is not easy because your competitors don't play that fairly. So you see a lot of, um, of a lot of websites ranking with PBNs and so on. Mm. So we're not doing that. Um, but if you want to get ahead of them or compete with them successfully without doing that, then yes, you have to know what you're doing, mm. I would say. Yeah, so I wasn't I wasn't trying to cast aspersions there. I meant all the tricks is in every single box checked in the white hat list of, you know, making sure everything's covered. Yeah. So so let's start to talk about this because I was going to, I had written down some questions for you around kind of audits and tools and things. And something you mentioned you wanted to talk about was QA in SEO. And I had to double check with you. You, you meant quality assurance, right? And you were like, yeah, of course. Yeah. It's really important. It's a big topic. And apart from, I think, um, I've heard Elada uh, touch on it before when I spoke to her around, and this was actually around kind of after you've done an audit, checking stuff's actually been done and it stays right. Apart from that, I actually don't think I've heard anyone speak about QA in, in SEO really at all. So do you want to just give us an intro into why you think that's in, important and what, what it looks like, what those processes are looking like? Of course, I'd love to. Um... Basically, QA is important because if you just did, let's say if you just relied on doing technical audits, um, you might just move too slowly. So for example, we got 60 domains. I mean, I'll never be done. And by the time I'm done with one third of them, I could actually start over because there's even, you know, things have changed and so on. And also you will not catch things that might happen in deployment cycles. So the most important thing here is to understand processes like how deployment cycles work in your company or in the company you're working with, because you can totally also do QA for a client. But this requires them to to kind of link you very closely to their deployment, um, so their tech department, the development, and um, if they have the product department as well. Um, just let me just highlight a few cases that I had that make you sure first understand why why SEO is important or why QA in SEO is important. Um, there was a deployment that and just and I, I don't know like just a week after the deployment was was done, um, one of our pages lost all rich snippets in the search results, like everything. And on top of that, um, traffic was going down 10% each week. And so when you realize that it is the first thing is you have to 
be able to see is that happening was there an update or is that happening due to technical issue on our part it's much easier if you do qa regularly and not just on demand when you know when shit is already burning so to speak um the issue was that when you looked at the at the domain everything looked fine you could just as a user you just could just browse the page and everything looked fine so this is an odd thing and then you start doing some kind of let's say technical audit but not a complete one just tied to that one issue and trying to find out what happened but until we found the issue and until we could actually solve that issue um, we lost traffic and by that we also lost revenue because we don't do any other marketing so there is only SEO, there's only organic traffic so that hurts us a great deal if that happens which is a good thing for me because SEO is the most important thing we do <laughs> um, or another thing that happens were, happened was um, not with Cafe Rocks right now but with my previous employer was um, suddenly uh, Googlebot could not no longer access our sites and I only realized again when because traffic started started going down and um, we couldn't find any issue whatsoever we did cross technical audits and so on there was no negative attack whatsoever um, and there was no deployment that's the funny thing though there was no deployment that they like they told me there was none of course they always do but there was really none because i secretly spied on our developers at the time as well with the monitoring tool so what happened was they had um, a kernel update on one of our servers they were running on linux and that caused an issue which only blocked out googlebot so you know and checking that and finding that issue i found it through checking crawl frequency and that was going down and um, it was going down because suddenly um, the time the time it took to download a document for googlebot was just super low which you usually would think is a nice thing but if it's going to zero it's not a good thing <laughs> so um you know these these kind of things happen and they happen more frequently when you don't do qa and then it takes up all your time so whatever nice seo strategy you have thought of in that moment when it happens you have to stop everything you do and try go look for the error so i'm not saying that this still can't happen even when you do qa because there's always things that slip through but it just happens much less frequently and if they do they're usually edge cases that are just a bit more complicated um, and it's also always fine when that happens but um, then at least you know that everything else is going to be fine um, so it's basically to avoid losing traffic at the end of the day it's it's that and the easiest way to avoid that because when you're not involved in any of the deployments in the deployment cycles then you don't know what things they are going to work on next week for example so you don't know what to check even or you might i have often seen people not actually doing any qa so that's maybe why you don't hear it often they do audits on demand or regular but not not the way you do qa and they might not even know all of the things that developers do or if they do they only check the tickets they think are relevant for seo but actually everything that is happening on the front end is relevant for seo to some degree and even some things happening in the back end because it can affect the performance of your site and um, what i often see is people just check the ticket so there's a ticket i don't know let's say it's affecting it's only as they say only affecting title tags okay that sounds nice but it can still theoretically break something else that is not entirely unrelated to title tags just due to the way the system is built and um, it is very hard to estimate that upfront. So sometimes you can 
because there are obvious cases, but sometimes it simply can't. Um, sometimes even your developers will not be able to estimate that this could happen, especially if you're working with custom-built CMSs or other ones and no documentation in the code and so on. But it can even happen with WordPress. I don't know, maybe you forgot to update a plugin and there was like a backdoor that someone used or, you know, there's so many things that can happen. So it's important to check, um, to make a list of all things that you think that could theoretically be affected no matter what the tickets are. And then you have some, so these are the things that you check regularly every week or every deployment cycle. If the de deployment cycle is longer, then of course it's not every week. Um, ideally, you have a testing environment so you can check before and after the deployment. And But yeah, I have also seen a lot of companies just um, working on the live site. <laughs> so that, which makes QA even more important. <laughs> Wow, um, brave. I have seen that happening so often, more often than actually people having test environments. It's it's awful, it's sad actually, but it does happen. It makes your job just very exciting. Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, anyway, so you have those things, things that you should regularly check. I don't know, um, are title tags still there? You don't have to check every change to them, but theoretically they could also just disappear. Um, I don't know, are images still there? Is there a higher number of internal 404 errors or, you know, that kind of thing? And then you have that list. And on top of that, for every deployment cycle, there might be a ticket that might just add something extra to it. For example, if you have a ticket that is introducing structured data of some sort that you haven't had before, then of course that's extra and you're checking that extra. So, but that way, you know what you're checking every week and um, or every deployment cycle and you can also of course so theoretically it's if you test things very thoroughly even with um different devices and so on to make sure it's working on every device then um it's taking up a lot of time and then you won't be able to do any seo strategies anymore and someone in the company is going to ask you you know you're doing qa all the time or why are you not doing seo um so you have to figure out a way how to to lift some of that um, off your shoulders. And what you can do is um, you can use monitoring tools to your advantage. And um, I just recently showed at the German conference, I showed um, a way to, to make that process a little better. So you figure out, you have that list of all the things you want to check. And then you figure out if there is a tool that can check that for you. So some things are already checked by Search Console, for example. And Search Console is sending you alerts. And when those come, you can actually use other tools to bring those alerts into whatever channel you're using with your team. So for example, we're using Slack as the main communication because our company has always been remote, not just since the pandemic. So for us, that was the most efficient way. If you're using, I don't know, a team email address or something like that, you could also use that. But I'm just taking Slack as an example for now because that's what we do. So you can filter all the emails from Search Console and actually you're gonna see that Search Console is using a code in each email for a specific error type. And it's the same for each error type, it's the same code, which makes it much better to filter them um, instead of just filtering for words like Search Console because then you get everything. And I mean, we regularly update our disavowal files, for example. If you have that for 60 domains, you get a lot of alerts. And then our channel would be full of alerts and you don't see the important ones anymore. Anyway, so we figure out the codes that we want to filter for and um, Either you have a developer or you know how to do that yourself to fetch those things through 
Google Search Console API, um, if that is possible, or which is way easier and faster, you just use um, like a middleware kind of thing, which would be, for example, Zapier. And you can use that and setting it up saying, if an email comes with that code in it, forward it into this Slack channel. So we have a QA alerts channel where that comes in, um, as well as downtimes of our service, for example, via Pingdom tools. Um, but of course, Search Console doesn't check everything. And sometimes you want to be alerted of things before Google notices them or before they become a problem. And there's other um, there's other software you can use, for example, Little Warden. Um, didn't you have a, have um, the, the Little Warden guy? What was his name? Dom Hodgson. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you had him on a podcast, right? Yes. Yeah. Lovely chap. Yeah. Uh, always raising yeah. money for charity, and yeah, they've just rolled out. I noticed um, all of the core Web Vital stuff now with yeah. uh, with exactly. the Little Warden, which is great because I think that's I think that's caused some misunderstanding certainly with people between the um, Chrome user experience data that you've got in Search Console, which is obviously helpful, but then people taking these one-off snapshots with lab tools, which again, aren't so helpful. So Little Order now can constantly mm -hmm. kind of just ping away your site and you can actually then get a decent average um, because the, that that was actually something I, I learned fairly recently, which was a lot of that data in search console for the core web vitals is like a month old before it gets aggregated and, yeah. and put on there um and that's a that's you know like you said that's something really if you make a change you don't want to be waiting a month before you've noticed because then it might be another month before it's fixed and then there might be a tangible impact exactly yeah um but we, we use little warden for example but there's obviously other tools to do similar things like for example content king um the German market, there's card score. Um, so there's a few tools you can use. And um, the the advantage of Little Warden is they have also already a web connector for Slack. So you can just easily have any notifications from them coming into Slack. So we get those as well. Um, you can set up custom alerts in Google Analytics. So for example, I set up one to alert me if traffic from one week to the other drops by X percent, then you get those as well. Um, and this all goes into our QA alerts channel. And then we figured out with my team some kind of, you can attach emojis to messages there. I don't know if you can do that with Microsoft Teams or whatever people are using. Um, but I find that really helpful because we have some kind of code. So when someone is looking at that, they're just using an emoji. And so we know someone is looking into it and the others can relax. Um, and when it's done, they add a green arrow, you know, that kind of thing. Um, there's another connector between Slack and Jira because we're using Jira and Confluence as well. And so you can directly use that if you figure out what the issue is and create from Slack without having to change out of Slack. You can just create a Jira ticket directly. Um, and because it's connected in the QA alerts channel, we will also see the status of the ticket. So that's also very helpful and just makes things way faster if you need to get them fixed. Um, yeah, and ultimately, it's just about processes. So getting people to understand either clients or your in-house teams that you need to be included in development processes at all times. Um, and to what extent and what that means. So for example, in our case, that means adding SEO acceptance criteria to every ticket, even though this ticket might not come from us. So as an SEO, you have more than just one function, right? So on the one hand, you are, let's say, the subject matter expert for SEO. Um, and so you'll give your feedback 
or the acceptance criteria for tickets that are requested from other departments. Um, but also you can be a stakeholder for your own tickets because you might have um, you might ask them to add a feature for primarily SEO purposes. So you always have that kind of those two functions at the very least. Um, that can always sometimes be a bit tricky, but that's a whole topic uh, altogether. Um, but as such, as the subject matter expert, it's super important because you're accountable at the end of the day, whatever they do with your website, you are the one accountable if your traffic drops. Yes. Especially if it's organic traffic. And that's why I made, like, in my case, it was fairly easy because it's our only marketing channel. So it's, it's, it was easy to tell them that we need to do QA. In terms of, you mentioned about getting involved in that deployment uh, process. So maybe when, you know, developers, hopefully, as you said, uh, have a, like a staging and testing environment, um, the development staging and, and live environment, rather than just sort of old school, you know, whack it onto life and see what happens. How, how do you feel about where that responsibility lies? Because I always think this is an interesting conversation in that developers, you know, learn their craft and a lot of them are very, um, and, and rightfully user centric. They think about the user in, in whatever they're creating. They might be thinking about, um, things that users obviously note notice, like, you know, speed and accessibility is obviously something that comes under like development remit. I think technical SEO, and I, I specifically define technical SEO a lot of the time as sometimes it's the stuff that is not visible to users, but it's there for, for search engines. So stuff like canonical tags, hreflang, um, are, are things that, you know, the user never notices are there, right? Um, schema is like another one. And they're there to aid search engines and the understanding of the site. So it, it's understandable that I still encounter developers nowadays who maybe you know, they, they've just missed that chapter, you know, they, and those things have never sort of, um, you know, been, been important to them. When you're, when you're reviewing sites at this development stage, do you think it's the job of the SEO to try and integrate and give the responsibility of those things to the, the developer almost? So you could say, for instance, you know, as a, as a, as a rule, you could apply anywhere, you know, all of our main pages need to be accessible without JavaScript or, or something like that. Is that something you would pass on to a developer or do you think that should stay with the, the, the SEO team? Well, first of all, we have to define what is responsibility. There, there's responsibility and there's accountability. So we handle those as two different entities in our company. So for example, I'm accountable, no matter what we decide, I'm accountable at the end of the day for yeah, for um, the visibility of our sites. But the responsibility can be shared or can be handed over. It's just a question of how you do it. So one thing that I have done previously and that I found very helpful was we defined, for tickets, you can, uh, you can define a definition of done. And only when this those boxes are all ticked, the ticket can be moved to done. Uh, and usually these things are not at all related to SEO, but you can make them. So you can have, you can ask the product owner or whoever is, or the CTO or whoever is involved or the lead developer, um, you can ask them to add specific things for SEO to make them understand if these are not checked and are not okay, then the ticket is not done. And that way you hand over the responsibility and even make it measurable to some extent. So for example, you can say, um, I don't know, page is indexable or we did it a bit more vaguely. We said, 
if any like does this ticket make a change to to the indexability and if it does then ping the seo first and only when you've done that then you can set it to done or tick that box um, and we had multiple of those so we had like five seo boxes in the definition of them in that ticket and that way you make it just more systematic in a way i really like that breakdown between uh responsibility and accountability i think they sometimes do get kind of merged together um, often they do, yeah. so i know you've you've dealt with um kind of a lot of leadership teams before um while you've been working in seo and this is again potentially a, a big question but i'll just put it out there for you how do you go about communicating the value of technical seo to leadership teams at, at a strategic level because i know because I know lots of technical SEO people and I see them struggle with this because, you know, they dive straight in. And again, as soon as you start talking about hreflang, canonical tags, you can almost see people falling asleep. <laughs> um, so how, how do you get that value across? Oh, I had to learn this the hard way as well because I tend to lose myself on the technical details and that's not good. Um, you have to really break it down to user stories so to speak so that's what i really like what i learned about um or through you know agile development um that um if you have i hate i hate to provide user stories myself to my tickets to be honest but it does make sense for anyone who's non-technical to understand why do you want this because whatever you want as an seo there's many people in the company who will see this as i don't know annoying or making them work more you know just just adding more tasks to the list and they don't like it unless they understand what it's for. So that's where user stories are interesting. And from that point of view, either what you want is good for the users, because for example, they can find your website through Google and maybe that's the most or the main point of entry that they're using, um, especially new users who are not, who do not already know your brand or you treat the search engine as a user because ultimately it, it somehow is. Um, and you have to get everyone on the same page. So is organic exposure what you want at all as a business? If you don't, then that, then you're going to have a hard time. But on the other hand, if you if you if we're talking technical SEO, um, a lot of things you do should ideally also be done by developers, like some parts of the QA, for example. But it just helps them focus on on coding. Ideally, also reviewing their own code. Um, but it's just another instance of checking and making making sure things are working properly. And that's what you ultimately want. So for example, while internal broken links do seem like a purely SEO thing, they're obviously not. You might want people to convert to another internal page. And if that link is not working, it's, it's bad uh, either way. So there's so many links between SEO and other other departments or other disciplines that it does make sense that, for example, SAs do proper QA and so on and have a say in, in things that you do in your business, unless, of course, organic exposure is not at all what you're after, then it's difficult. Like for me, it was fairly easy because it's our only marketing channel. So then it's not that hard to make people understand strategically, but still you have to break it down. So, of course, talking about HF flanks at length isn't helping, but talking about I mean, why, why are you ultimately doing this? You want the users of the correct market come to your page and, and convert. So if I'm not using them correctly, and that means my page for 
I don't know, let's say you have a shop for Australia, but it's ranking in the UK, the people and people just jump off your page back to the search results and choose a competitor who's Australian because they don't want to pay high shipping fees and customs, which makes totally sense, then it's easy to tell, hey, if we we have a technical thingy that we can use um, to make sure that our British website is is ranking um, and that means we have less people abandoning their cart or you know jumping back to competitors so ultimately they're converting better we get higher revenue some people even go at length calculating what the revenue could be through seo um, to me it often feels highly speculative but there are management teams who need that um, i'm happy enough to be in senior management so i have a say in, in everything we do there uh, when it comes to anything for our organic exposure but if you're not then yeah um, you have to, to find the proper arguments just basically breaking it down like just imagine you explaining it to a user who might like just a user of your website who might actually not know at all what you're doing in the background I'm just really breaking it down that that way um, if you struggle what I sometimes do to be honest is I just look it up like I don't know I look it up in um, for example, Write, they have uh, an online wiki and they try to break things down in very easy words and sometimes I just use that, though that is already targeting SEOs to some extent but and other online marketers, but um, you get to a better level, probably. I really like that. So it's, it's rising kind of the why you're actually making that change up until you get to the, the end benefit or the end value that's then... Yeah, understandable. And that, that's a really interesting point you make about how they're tied into a lot of other um, disciplines as well. Um, and that's something we talk about a lot anyway, and we have on a podcast about how, you know, this Venn diagram of SEO is now, you know, there's bits that go over site performance and there's, mm -hmm. you know, bits that go over people that are dealing with user experience, mobile friendliness, and it, it's almost like you're, Everyone sees their SEO as the most important thing, but it is contributing to all these different areas as well. So maybe you, you can make some friends if you've got other people in the, the team as well to, to put that forward. It's also important to understand that as, as SEO, basically you're doing a service for all other departments in the company. Like you're the internal consultant, if you're not even not already the external one. Um, and so you're the, you're the subject matter expert when it comes to SEO, but tied to every other department. And you can, if, people don't feel like you're telling them how to do their job because people don't like it. Editors don't like it, developers don't like it, and that's and designers don't like it. And that's also entirely fine because nobody likes that. Um, but if you tell them, if you can agree with them on, on the same goal, so if we all have the same goal, for example, getting more people on our site, then they, and then you, they understand that you're providing consultancy service to make that happen. Like additionally to their job and then that i found that very helpful to navigate that between departments so while we i guess it's a good time to ask is while we're talking about communicating with with departments we recently spoke to sophie branham from absolute digital media and the episode before that billy gina from the seo works and they both come from self-described kind of content backgrounds and they're moving into the technical seo space and i know um seos again that have been on a similar path or sometimes felt very 
intimidated and nervous talking to technical teams and, and breaking into that area. What advice would you give someone who's starting fresh in technical SEO? Maybe and this can be whether it's resources or mentors or where they go for information or just some general guidance for if that's what they want to do. Um, there's a lot of things you can do. Um, so it really depends on what their basic knowledge is, of course. So one thing you can do if you're more of a learner, like a learning type who's, who prefers to be on their own, what you can do is, for example, you use Sitebob or Screaming Frog and you crawl a site, just any site. Um, if you have the expression, uh, the impression that your your own website or your, like your employers is maybe too small or not interesting or whatever, just choose something you like. I don't know, your favorite online shop or whatever. Like, don't crawl Facebook. That's not fun. It's really not fun, but but something like like a nice online shop. And don't crawl Amazon. It's also not much fun. Something else, maybe a tad smaller. <laughs> um, but anyway, you know, just let a crawl one and then go read their documentation. And both Sidebot and Screaming Frog have great documentation and read everything about anything you find in there. So that way you understand bit by bit more of what you find in a crawl. And that's giving you a very thorough from my point of view, technical knowledge. Um, of course, not everything the tools flag tells you if that is actually an issue or not, but when you read the documentation, you will understand. Um, you can also use your favorite developer, um, if you have any, or if you can try to make friends with one um, as a mentor in the company, like just getting them as an ally and say, hey, uh, if I learn more, then I might be able to write better tickets, which helps you doing your stuff more efficiently, knowing better what I actually need, and I might understand your tickets better and so on. And then you just pick out some issues or have them explain some of their tickets to you and just learn by that. Um, if you really don't know where to start, I mean, technical SEO as such is already a broad field. Um, and you, if you don't already know what your favorite thing would be, then um, you can use a latest great resource, learningseo.io, because it gives you many options. It gives you paths. Um, so for example, if you're into automation, you might look into Python and so on, but maybe you'll start with HTML and CSS first. And it, it just gives you all those paths and it gives you all free resources that you can use. And these are giving you very thorough understanding. Um, I also suggest highly following non-SEO technical people, for example, in information security or web development. I learned the most interesting things from them, actually, or in accessibility, because that's also, I mean, often what's good for accessibility is also quite good for SEO. Um, yeah, so these are resources you can use. For mentors, um, if the people who want to move into technical SEO are identifying as women, there is um, the Women in Tech SEO community, which I highly encourage to join because they have mentorship programs, but you can also just find mentors there by just connecting to people outside of a program. They do workshops. It's also extremely well organized, so it's highly, highly encouraged. Um, there is, for developers, there is there are mentorship programs online. I don't remember the website just right now, but I do have it in my bookmarks somewhere, um, where you can have find a mentor online for when you're just starting programming. So if you're, for example, if you say, yeah, I want to be a technical SEO, but I want to learn JavaScript or something like that, then 
if you don't have a trusted developer, if they don't have time, then this is a very good way as well. For just SEO mentors, um, outside of Women in Tech SEO, I don't know any group, though there's also a queer digital marketers group, so maybe you might you might find something there. And other than that, the main thing you can do is networking really, and then try and find people who are well-meaning and um, just nice folks who might uh, have the time uh, to help you out there. Um, there are many SEO groups, but I don't find all of them. So outside of the Women in Tech SEO group, I don't find all of them um, helpful when it comes to the tone and communication, to say it in a diplomatic way. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't think that's a secret to anyone in SEO. Um, <clears throat> if if um, if you're listening and you are interested in the Women in Tech SEO group, I'll put a link to this in the show notes at search.withcanda.co.uk. Uh, in episode 75, we did an episode with uh, Rij Abu Ali, who's the founder of Women in Tech SEO. And that's a really nice, um, like half an hour podcast there where Rij just goes through how the group's founded, a little bit more about the mentoring programs that they do and the online and uh, hopefully soon offline uh, conferences, but I've heard nothing but um, really great things about that. So um, yes. yeah, definitely a good place if you are identifying as a woman and you do want to get into tech SEO. But apart from that, loads of different avenues um, you can explore. So it's more a matter of just managing your own time, really, I guess that there's a lot out there. Finally, um, because we are we're 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 stomping through this. This is uh, this is amazing. We're already at over forty <laughs> minutes. Um, finally, <clears throat> where can people maybe follow you? Find out a bit more about you. And I understand you have got some roles open at the moment uh, for maybe people that are looking for jobs. Yes. Do you just want to tell us about that as we finish up? Of course. So getting in touch with me is easiest through Twitter actually, because I am really bad at reading emails. Like I might miss them. Um, and so if you want anything, then it's easiest to just drop a question through Twitter. Um, other than that, I think you can add the link to the podcast notes. Um, yeah. Of course, I do have a LinkedIn account. You're free to get in touch there as well. But again, I'm, I don't look into LinkedIn all day uh, or every day. And yes, I do get emails from LinkedIn, but I don't read them. So it might just take a little while. If you're very patient, that's fine as well um i never look into my facebook so it's uh you can also try but you have to be very patient um other than that yeah we're looking for two senior technical seos right now to join my team um but also we have a lot of other um open positions right now um ranging from c-level positions like a cfo down to um Literally in every level, we, we're looking for someone. For example, we're looking for content editors. I think we might even be looking for a country manager right now. So there's so many open positions. So if you go to our website, cafe.rocks, and cafe not like coffee, but um, K-A-F-E, <laughs> and then dot rocks, where we have the career section, you're going to find all of them. So I, I'm sure that to some people who are listening, there is something of uh, to your liking, and I'd be glad if you then could submit your application. Brilliant. We will put links again to those in the show notes, and you can find them at search.withcanda.co.uk. 
Jana, thank you so much for your time. Um, it was really interesting uh, talking about mainly about QA and in, in tech SEO. That was uh, a topic I wasn't kind of expecting a couple of days ago, but really glad you put that forward and we could talk about that. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this. So we will be back in one week's time, which means you will hear from us again on Monday, the 19th of April. In the meantime, if you are enjoying the podcast, go and tell a friend about it. Subscribe if you really like. And otherwise, I hope you have a lovely week. Bye.